Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on the founder of the Walk Away Movement, and this is, of course, Brandon Strock. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, man. So I've just done the shortest possible intro right there, but why don't you <laughs> tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you do? No problem. So my name is Brandon Strock. I started something called the Walkaway Campaign. A lot of people refer to it as the Walkaway Movement, which is pretty cool. I guess that means it's, it's gone beyond being a campaign and it's officially a movement at this point, um, which is to say that I am the the Democrat, the former Democrat, the former liberal who walked away from the political left. On May 26th of 2018, I put out a six-minute video which detailed everything that I had discovered was wrong with liberalism and the Democrat Party and the liberal media, basically after doing about a solid year of research when my eyes kind of got opened. I voted for Hillary Clinton and um, hated Donald Trump. And now, after uh, a, a long, hard journey, uh, I've completely reversed my position. I walked away from the Democratic Party. I walked away from the, the political left. And I started this movement on May 26th of last year, which I call the Walkway Campaign, encouraging other people to also leave the political left, which is to say the, you know, the divisiveness, the hate, the, the race baiting, the identity politics, political correctness, uh, you name it, globalism, mm-hmm. socialism, et cetera. And so... Um, I, I kind of started it as a, uh, a testimonial campaign, people making videos and written testimonials telling their stories. But now we've grown into so much more, like traveling around the country, doing events and activism, things like that. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of stuff right there, man. I know. So, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It'll be an interesting conversation because there's a lot of people who I know and who I'm speaking to recently both in the UK and in the USA, who are saying 
similar things to you, but we're living in a very interesting world. So I'm not someone who's ever really shifted much politically, right? Since, since my teenage years, I've always been kind of center-right. I've moved a little bit libertarian over time. And I'm someone who for a long time, like for over a decade, has seen a lot of the things that you were just talking about on the left side of the political aisle. But with a lot of what you just said there, for some, a lot of people who are on that side of the political aisle, they'll hear all those things you just said and you'll, they'll be like, nah, that's, that's the right that's doing all those things. And I assume given your past, um, you know, someone who's really recently, I don't know what you call it, had an, had an awakening. Some people call it a red pill movement, you know, had, had a, a real, yeah. real, yeah, had a real big change. I mean, how did that happen? I mean, cause that, that's a big shift, right? That's a big shift mm-hmm. to go from voting for Hillary and hating Trump to in a relatively short time, supporting Trump and getting shouted out by him and opposing the democratic party. And pushing for other people, not just to, not just to consider the other angles, but actually to walk away. So can you talk us through how that shift happened? Absolutely. And thank you for asking that question, because I think what ends up happening as long since you brought up, you know, people on the left, what, you know, they would think dot, dot, dot. Um, I certainly can understand why anybody might hear about another person on either side completely reversing their position and probably just assume that that person must be very stupid or very flippant or very... So, I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to explain to people that it was a painstaking process that I went through for over for about a year mm-hmm. uh, that came with a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of tears, a lot of shock and a lot of loneliness because I lost more than 90% of my friends in the process of having this awakening. So what happened was, um, you know, I, without much question, I kind of went along with liberal ideology doctrine and, uh, an allegiance to the Democrat party. And that's largely because I'm a gay man. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a minority in this country, uh, well, probably globally, but since we're just talking about the U S Our Democrat Party in the United States does this amazing job of marketing themselves to minority groups in this country. And on the flip side, the Republican Party does a terrible job. Um, And and I'm not talking about pandering. I'm talking about literally just communicating, Mm -hmm. acknowledging, saying like, hey, have you guys considered uh, what we have to offer? Because we think we have some great policies uh, and solutions for problems that you have that would benefit you and your community. But yeah. they don't really do that. But the Democrats do. And so I just naturally, inherently assumed or did not question their honesty. Um, I thought that the Democrats were honest. I thought they were telling the truth. I thought the liberal media was honest. I trusted them. I thought that they were telling the truth. So as we're approaching the 2016 election and, you know, without even question, I'm, I'm pro Hillary, you know, I'm with her, <laughs> no doubt about it. Terrible but slogan, I, by the way, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, when Donald Trump announced that he was running for president, I thought it was a joke. Like every, like most other people on the left, we were all laughing. Like no one was scared. No one uh, took it seriously. No one thought it was dangerous until it got to the point where it became clear that he was quite likely going to win the primary Mm -hmm. and that he was going to become the Republican candidate. And then it also, like as this MAGA movement was growing, it became a little bit, you know, came to the surface that, wow, maybe Hillary Clinton doesn't just automatically have this all locked up as she is supposed to. Mm. Um, And so 
that's when the media and the, the, the powers that be, the Democrat politicians, all sort of pooled together and created this narrative that Donald Trump is the biggest racist, monster, bigot, homophobe, sexist, second coming of Hitler mm -hmm. that the world has ever seen running for president in the United States. Yeah. And Wait, I just want to interject there. I, I, I found that whole thing extremely bizarre, considering that Trump has been a public figure since at least the 80s, maybe even before that. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a professional rapper, right? And I say this all the time, man, like rappers used to love Trump, right? The amount of Trump shout outs in hip hop, like it was so weird to me how this guy who's been a well-known public figure for a very long time. I mean, you can go back and watch his appearances on, on The View and on some of these different uh, late night TV shows and things like that. And everybody likes him. Everybody loves him. He's being totally amiable with all the women on The View with Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg and everything like that. He was on it multiple times. And then suddenly, it was like really suddenly in 2016, this guy, like the narrative just switched so hard. And I felt like I was one of the few people who was like, wait, wait, hang on. Like five. What's happening? Yeah, like two years ago, you like this guy. So what, what did he suddenly do that's made him not just like, okay, he said some offensive things, but he's literally... A, a white supremacist or a, an absolute racist, all that kind of stuff was, I was like, hmm, this is really, really strange, but it's weird how people just, people just ate it up and ran along with the narratives, which I think people do with a lot of things. But um, I just wanted to throw that in there. But yeah, carry on. No, that's, I mean, it's a very important and astute observation because it just goes to show the level to which this brainwashing exists and the, the level to which we just blindly follow whatever the news tells us to think and believe. And I'm not above it. I'm yeah. one of the people who, I mean, that's, I literally went from laughing that Donald Trump was uh, running for president to being terrified mm. that he was the, the candidate. And, you know, they started, you know, going to his rallies and showing us these little clips of like a black person being ejected from the rally mm. or, um, you know, that he called all Mexicans rapists or just, you know, these little sound bites that they would throw up on the screen. Yeah. And uh, which is, it's coming in my story. I mean, that ended up being one of the most, uh, the key moments that turned the light bulb on for me, which was, okay, so, so I voted for Hillary. Okay. The same media that I trusted that was telling me that Donald Trump was horrible and, and all these terrible things also was reassuring me that he had, you know, yes, he is a monster, but don't worry about it too much because he has a less than 3% chance of winning. Mm. It's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so on election day, I was shocked. And I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was <laughs> like, you know, finding out that your parents lied to you about Santa Claus or something. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, no, I, I'm like, if, you know, Rachel Maddow, you promised me that he wasn't going to win. You know, yeah. Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, what, what the hell? You guys promised that so, there was no chance this was going to happen. So at this time, where were you? Were you in New York at this time? Yes, I was okay. in my apartment on the Lower East Side. I was uh, watching the, I was excited for election mm. day. You know, I was like, I had some friends over, you know, it was like going to be, you know, yay, first woman president party. Okay. And, um... Oh gosh. So you know the 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 results are coming in. Yeah. And his electoral votes are going up and up and up and up and first it was like this first it was this shock and horror and disappointment that 
not that I thought he was going to win because I, you know, I think, I think we were all in denial about it until the last possible minute, but it was most, first it was just kind of like, wow, this is pathetic that she's not winning in a, by a landslide because I was, you know, that's what they said is just like, he was getting, you know, I honestly thought that he might get next to zero electoral (laughs) votes. Where were you getting your news from at this time? Well, you know, the Huffington Post, mm-hmm. the the ultra reliable Huffington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, um, and then just also social media. Okay. So anything that anybody was posting from, you know, say Vice or Politico or uh, 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 Media Matters. Oh there's, my there's gosh, a str- there's a strong trend amongst these uh, news sources. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did, did, you, did you did you look at the other side? at all or did you just no no i mean why would i it's all you know propaganda and brainwashing why would i ever consider anything that fox (laughs) news or anybody else has to say i you know i i wanted trustworthy reliable sources like the huffington post okay and um and you know it's funny because at that time too in my life i used to like cringe when people would say liberal media because i didn't Mm -hmm. think there was any such thing i thought that there was the media, the trustworthy media. And then I thought there was like right-wing propaganda. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. But when people used to use the term liberal media, that to me was a signal that this was like a brainwashed person that (laughs) there's no point in even trying to have a conversation with this person because they're too far gone. If they think there's such a thing as liberal media. Okay. And, um, Okay, so Donald Trump won and around, you know, I went to bed because I was like having a nervous breakdown about the the results that were coming in. So around midnight, I went to bed and I kept, I couldn't sleep though. So I just kept refreshing the Huffington Post like every 10 minutes. And then finally, somewhere around 2.15 in the morning that it changed. And there was his picture with a giant red banner above it that said, Nightmare, President Trump. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> you can Google this. It's uh, it, like Google yeah. Huffington Post election day. Okay. So it said nightmare, President Trump. And then underneath it, and by the way, this image is like emblazoned in my memory. It might actually be the last thing I see in my mind before I die. So it funny. is so emblazoned into my brain because yeah. it, it was like, it took my breath away. I was like, <gasps> so, okay, nightmare, President Trump. And then underneath it, it said, Millions to lose their health insurance, civil rights to be rolled back, dot, 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 and other possible headlines from a Trump presidency. Mm. So they actually started predicting the future of what the headlines would be the second that he got elected. Like they started scaring us the moment that he got elected, Mm -hmm. but I still wasn't seeing it, you know, so it worked totally effectively on me. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. So the next day I... I was working as a hairstylist in New York City. I had to cancel my day. It was very dramatic. I called it. I said, cancel all my appointments. And I stayed home that day. And I just got on Facebook and started crying. And I made these videos, which I'll never take these videos down. They will live forever on my Facebook page. (laughs) But I started making these live videos asking the question, why? How did this happen? Now, you must bear in mind, I grew up in a tiny little town in Nebraska. So I knew that the majority of people that I went to grade school with, high school with, that teachers probably voted for Trump. Mm. And so I was trying to be, you know, I knew that I was like completely on a different page from these people politically. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I didn't like that because as a liberal, I saw myself as more evolved, more intelligent, more woke, yep. you know, than these people. And, but I had kind of accepted that. But this was next level, you know, and I was trying, how was I expected to accept this? How was I expected to accept that after eight years of a scandal-free presidency by Barack Obama, the world's most infallible leader that has ever, you know, held the office of presidency, mm -hmm. now we have the world's biggest bigot and the world's biggest nightmare. And how am I expected to accept this? And why? Why did this happen? So I went on a quest to try to understand why would anybody vote for this man? What were you thinking? Like, what has happened to your soul and what has happened mm. to your conscience? And so well, I started well, asking. Ju just you wanting to do that is relatively rare. That actually says something about you. Because I, I always say, like, the 2016 election was very interesting because, you know, I I'm from the UK. I, I have no dog, no dog in the fight in American politics, but as someone who watches it from afar and who follows like, cause I was one of the rare people kind of in my circle, certainly in my family who saw the potential for that happening. I was one of those people who people were laughing at when I was saying, mm, I think you're underestimating this guy. Cause I was, <laughs> I was cause I was following, uh, you know, from early, I was following, you know, guys like Mike Cernovich and um, you know, quite a few other fairly prominent people in the sort of 2015, 2016 period. And I was just kind of seeing what was happening with culture and everything and following both sides and seeing, mm, I think there's, I think there's a lot of appeal here. I, I was seeing that a lot of people were going to vote for Donald Trump who I know for a fact are not, you know, racist, horrible bigots or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, it was similar in the UK, right? The media here, people here generally thought the whole thing was kind of a joke. But um, what I was saying is in 2016, I, I'm, I'm, in a lot of ways, I'm glad it happened. One, because I, I don't think, you know, everything that's happened since then, I don't think it's been this huge nightmare like people are still trying to make it out to be. But also, no. I just think in, in terms of it being an alarm clock for people, right? I think there were two different reactions to it from people who were shocked. Either you had people go, wow, America is even more racist and more xenophobic and more homophobic and more hateful and everything is, it's even worse than I thought it was, right? Because people, because the whole, the whole narrative had been, look, only racist people are going to vote for Trump. So when he won, it was like, people were like, oh my gosh, people are even more racist than I thought. That was one reaction. Right. Whereas people who are more sensible and aware, you know, such as yourself, even though in your own words, you know, you were very much in that bubble, but you had the sort of foresight and self-awareness and level of, I don't know, level of charity towards your fellow citizens to instead go, hmm, I had a huge blind spot there. I missed something, right? Whether this, this doesn't even come back to whether or not someone chooses to support Trump, but if you get blindsided in that way, it's, it's important to go, hmm, okay, I, I miss. Right, I, I, what I did miss I miss? Something. Yeah, I miss something huge here, right? 50% of the population uh, thinks really differently for me. So how, how did I not even know? this was the case. So yeah, I mean, carry on, but I commend you for doing that because most people, thank you. Most people still haven't. And you're right about that. Yeah. But he here's the thing though. I mean, I, first of all, thank you. And I appreciate the, the compliment uh, that that is in that, but to be really fair, the, 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 the main motivator for me in, in asking these questions was that I was so afraid. I was so upset I was so thrown off my center and I didn't want to feel that way. Mm. Like, so 
it, it wasn't as altruistic, honestly, as you may think it is because yeah. I, yes, there was a part of me that wanted to understand, but mostly what was motivating me was I, I, I wasn't sleeping. I was, mm. I was like, I was literally like walking down the street in New York city, you know, assuming like looking around and being like, did you vote for him? Did you vote for him? Did you vote for him? You know, yeah. like wondering who all these covert bigots were yeah. that were like existing amongst us. I have a question. Yeah. So if you can put yourself back in that mind state, I mean, what did you fear when you saw that election happen? When you saw those election results, when you're going around looking at people in this way, when you're freaking out on Facebook, I mean, what did you fear legitimately? Okay. Well, like, here's an example. When um, shortly after the election, actually, I think it was very, sh it was right around the time uh, that he took office, which would have been January of 2017. Mm. Again, the Huffington Post, I remember it was the first time I became aware of Milo Yiannopoulos. I had never heard okay. of him before. And I remember the Huffington Post had a picture of Milo getting off of a private jet, you know, with his ridiculous sunglasses and fur coat and like pearls and whatever. And the headline said, the new face of the alt-right. Oh, gosh. And I clicked on the article and, you know, because again, they're so good at what they do. When they've got you, when they've got you in their grips, they know exactly what to do. And so basically what the crux of the article was, was that this was an anti-gay, gay man. So imagine almost like during the Holocaust, the Jews that helped the Nazis, yeah, right? Yeah. That's how they were presenting this. That okay. So I was scared that he was bringing all these people into his administration that were like these like effed up mentally effed up people like gay people who were out to hurt gay people mm. you know that they were i mean they were talking about like um you know mike pence wanting to like you know oh. uh advocate for conversion therapy yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know sending people to camps and you know and then also they were talking about you know making this kind of like a white ethno state whatever so they were going to get rid of any non-caucasian people and so i mean i know that it sounds ridiculous but mm -hmm. i was I was, I was buying into all of it, yeah, I, yeah. you know, and so was everybody else. I mean, there might be a lot of people now who three years into his presidency were like, well, I knew that wasn't true, <laughs> but it's BS. I mean, yeah. everybody was buying into all of this. When you stuff. say everybody though, you mean in your circle? Liberals. You yeah. Okay. Everybody okay. on the left. Gotcha. Everybody okay. on the left. Mm-hmm. So flash forward, same period of time, January of 2017. At this point, I've now for months been asking people, why would you vote for him? Why did you do this to America? Why did you do this to me? Why did... And on, uh, in January of 2017, I posted on Facebook, I would never be able to understand how anyone could vote for a man who could stand before a cheering crowd and mock a reporter's disability. Like, what is wrong with you? Mm. And that finally, somebody reached out to me. This woman, uh, she babysat me when I was a baby. And she, she so she's known me my whole life. Yep. She's always been a staunch Christian conservative. Um, she and I have had so many fights over the years on Facebook uh, <laughs> about different political issues and whatever. And, you know, and I, again, kind of in my liberal arrogance, I used to almost get kind of a rush out of, you know, telling her how stupid she was and just like, you're such an idiot, Diane, you know? And anyway, she reached out to me privately and she said, look, I'm not trying to like have a fight with you. I'm not trying to start anything. I'm just asking, have you seen this? Mm. 
and she presented me with a YouTube video entitled Debunking the Trump Mocked the Disabled Reporter. Mm -hmm. And just briefly, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's, there's, there are many versions of it that can be found. In fact, actually, YouTube is buried, most of them. They're actually very hard to find now if you Google it. Mm -hmm. But there are, are multiple versions of this, which is a compilation of footage, about three or four minutes long, of Donald Trump doing that same voice and that same gesture mm -hmm. as he did that day when he was accused of mocking that reporter's disability. Some of them go back to long before he even ran for president. Yeah, and I've it seen, becomes I've seen clear. Those compilations. Yeah, it's yeah. what it is, is this is just sort of a bit that Donald Trump does when he's imitating anybody who's flailing because they've been caught in a lie or doing something shady or something dishonest. So, I mean, it could be any, it could be you, it could be me. If like, if, if we got caught in a lie, Donald Trump, if he was imitating us, would go, Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it had nothing to do with the fact that that reporter happened to be disabled, which by the way, that's not even the nature of that reporter's disability. That, that reporter, he just had the dodgy hand, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he can't even really move his arm. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just kind of like this. So what they did was they, they have Donald Trump going like this and then they freeze it when he's mm. like this. Yeah. So they could have frozen like this, they could have frozen, but they froze it like this. Mm. And then they said, ah, he's making fun of that reporter's disability. Mm. Well, people really ate that one up as well. I remember that. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, there are actually memes that, and I've reposted these memes in the past that said, for the life of me, I'll never understand why it didn't end here. Mm. Like with him in that position, which by the way, if that were true, let's just say in an imaginary world for a moment that Donald Trump at one of his rallies stood before 20,000 people and said, you should see this reporter. He's all, you know, eh, it mm. should in there. Like, I mean, if he actually did that, if he yeah. actually made fun of like, that is so disgusting and so beneath uh, anybody who should ever be near the office of presidency and any Trump supporter who, you know, are, are good natured people would never be okay with that. Yep. But that's not what happened. And so it opened my eyes to the first for the first time in my life to this realization that the media that I had trusted implicitly, mm -hmm. just given over my trust to, was capable of taking a moment and presenting it completely out of context in order to reinforce my fears and prejudices and any sort of, you know, negative feelings that I had. And so then I started just researching, like, how often does this happen? Like, mm. how, was that an isolated incident or does this happen? And what I found was astounding. I mean, one of the ones that really has always stood out to me was I found because I started researching. I mean, I was watching videos, I was reading stories and mm. night after night after night. And I found this example of, uh, a group of black people who had gone to a Trump rally to support him. And there were, I don't know, eight or 10 of them or something. Mm -hmm. And when they got there and they took their seats, CNN moved the camera so that they wouldn't be in the <laughs> because they were sitting in yeah. front of a CNN camera yeah. and they actually moved the camera so that they would, they could frame up on a group of only white people. That's hilarious. Yeah. And the guy, like one of the guys who was speaking in this interview, this black guy, he was like, they literally, we sat down, <laughs> and the camera and moved it. And uh, I, I mean, he was like, he was laughing about yeah. it, but he was like, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. But it, I was like, I, I was starting to get it piece by piece by piece. I'm like, oh my God, like, I, I get it. Like they, they're, they're creating a false narrative, a false reality. Mm. That's, you know, this white supremacist movement, this bigoted movement, and there's all these pieces of evidence all around that refute 
that story, but they're covering them up and they're omitting that they're moving the camera mm-hmm. when, when presented with the fact that there are black people who do support Trump and not only support Trump, but nobody cares. Those people are just as welcome at a Trump rally as anybody else. Of course. Yeah. Pe- people are now saying that they're now saying that they're paid or they're mentally ill. Oh, I've yeah. seen that one too. Who, who, which was this? Who was the celebrity that said that? Oh gosh. What was that woman's name? She like really uh, put her foot in it. Bet Midler. Uh, how do they get away with saying that? Dude, see, like, this, see, this is what's crazy, right? See, it's like, it's funny. Like, it's interesting talking to you because obviously like you had these realizations, you know, kind of in the last two years and I've seen this stuff for like a long time. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's so weird to me because it's like, it's cool because a lot of people, I think this is the partly the power of the internet and YouTube, which is probably why they're trying to censor and deplatform a lot of people. Right. But when you see things in their full context and it's just kind of laid out there, like you said, with that compilation video, or um, we might get to this, but for example, when, when people ask for some examples of something, um, something terrible Trump has said, they'll always go to the, oh, he said that he called white supremacists very fine people, right? There's always that one that he said, oh, yeah. very oh, yeah, fine yeah. people on both sides, right? And they miss out the following, the following statement 30 seconds later or so, where he says, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the white nationalists. They're terrible. Uh-huh. They should be condemned completely. But they just take that clip of the very, and, and like everyone just runs with it. And I'm like, have you seen that clip in context? Have you read the transcript? And people are just like, oh, Zuby, but you're just trying to defend. And I'm just like, look, I'm not, I'm just, like, just read the whole. This whole is just reality. Thing. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is it. I'm not, I don't need to defend anything. I'm just saying like, you have to read the whole, the whole statement. If you just take that one clip, I mean, with any conversation you have, I mean, I'm sure we've both had many conversations in our lives where if someone were to take a 30 second clip from it without the full context, it could sound like you're saying something totally crazy, but then yeah, I they do it to me all the time. I okay. mean, I've now, now I'm in the news. Okay. So it, this has been the most remarkable thing about, you know, my journey is that once I, became a public figure who started getting, then, then they started doing it to me. Mm. So it's like the very thing that caused me to walk away from the left, mm. I'm now experiencing. I mean, they lie about me all the time. They lie about my campaign. They do take little uh, clips of something that I said and spin it. Here's a, here's a great example. Okay. This one's so good. So on August 1st, I had this great Uh, honor and privilege of being asked to open the Trump rally in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I was the opening speaker. I delivered a, I don't know, six, seven minute speech, which was, I mean, (laughs) it's just, it's so infuriating because if anybody watches my full speech, it's like, I basically made it a point to just debunk piece by piece, you know, the, the lies about Trump hating minorities. And my whole message was unifying. I mean, it was about unity, bringing people together, that we don't have to be afraid mm. that, you know, there's a, a seat at the table for black people and brown people and LGBT people. And that we, you know, that was what my whole speech was about. At the very, towards the end, I said one line in my speech, which was, I said something about, you know, when any of us among, when any amongst us fails, we all fail in this country. Where we go one, we go all. That's what I said. Okay. CNN, MSNBC, all of them ran that moment in my speech where I said, where we go one, we go. Just that one sentence. Mm-hmm. And the headline was, Trump supporter uh, pl- pledges his allegiance to Q at a Trump rally. 
Do you know Q? The Q uh, movie? Vaguely, vaguely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Vaguely, vaguely. So that was like, that was the headline yeah. that Donald Trump asked a Q, a brainwashed Q enthusiast yeah. to open his rally. Because apparently, you know, in the Q movement, that's one of the things that they say where we go yeah. one, we go all. Yeah, I now, don't know much me, about it, but I've seen it in a few people's Twitter bios and stuff, the hashtag. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, all I know I mean, about it. They disregarded my, you know, <laughs> think of all the things they could have said. They could have said, you know, Donald Trump asks a gay man to, uh, to open his rally or that a gay man is embraced and supported by 18,000 Trump supporters. That Trump, mm. No, they, the, the, the narrative was basically deranged speaker pledges allegiance to Q to open a Trump. I mean, they're so gross. They're okay. so gross. So I have a question. So I, I understand how this pushed you away, but what changed your mind on, I guess, Trump or Republicans or conservatives in general? You've been pushed away from one side and sort of pulled towards another one. So what caused that second part of the shift? Uh, great question. So it didn't happen overnight. I can assure you that there was a period of time over the course of months, I ended up being pushed away slash compelled to walk away from the political left from the Democrats and liberal media. But I was not in any way, shape or form willing to embrace Trump, willing to embrace the Republican party. And I really, I went through this period of time where I felt uh, like politically homeless, you know, I was just sort of like, I don't know where I belong. And, um, and so I continued doing kind of my research about, you know, the media and what was really going on. And at that time, that's really all I cared about was how often are we being lied to by the media? Mm -hmm. But I ended up going down these rabbit holes in the process of that research, which led me to um, conservative speakers, you know, and a lot of them ran the gamut from the more extreme Mm-hmm. to the more kind of centrist middle ground, like, you know, from, you know, Ann Coulter and Milo to mm-hmm. uh, maybe Dave Rubin, you know, yeah. or uh, uh, Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, Judge Jeanine, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, and it was really Tucker Carlson because on his show, you know, he'll actually debate mm-hmm. liberals and he'll debate, you know, college professors, PhDs, lawyers, doctors, you know, educated liberals. Um, and, when I would watch these debates, I was like, wow, you know, I'm really understanding how liberalism, the, it doesn't make any sense, you know, because Tucker's arguments were so framed in logic and common sense. I didn't agree with him a hundred percent of the time. Sure. There are certain, and I, and there's still certain conservative issues where I feel like conservatives, it's like, come on, you guys, it's like, but for the vast majority of things, I'm like, I'm understanding that the conservative point of view makes so much more sense. So slowly, piece by piece, I'm, I'm starting to go, oh, my God, I, th- I think I'm a conservative. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm actually embracing this. Now, try to, try to like, understand this, too. So yeah. as, I'm, as I'm identifying more and more as conservative, I'm also seeing how dangerous and dishonest the Democrats are and the media is and what their agenda is and what they're pushing for. So I'm, I'm not only feeling pushed away, but I'm, my eyes are being open to how really dangerous they are. And I'm thinking to myself, this is serious. This is a very serious problem that we have. What specifically were you seeing in that regard? So I I can imagine, but I want to know in your own words, what were you seeing that is making you use words like, you know, dangerous Okay. Well, for starters, the, the race baiting and the identity politics and the way in which in order for them to function most effectively and be most successful, mm. 
they have to keep us as divided as possible, as mistrusting of one another as possible. If black people and white people start living in perfect harmony and gay people and straight people start living, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. Nothing to run on. Nothing to run on. They have nothing to go with. And then, of course, now, since they see that I think people are starting to wake up and the veil is being lifted, now they have to shift their focus to illegal immigrants because they, you know, they don't have black people in their control the way that they did years ago, you know, and... They still mostly have LGBT people, but I'm going to put a hard stop to that very soon. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, so they see that they're losing their grip and that's why they've shifted their focus to illegal immigrants. And so in the process of shifting their focus to illegal immigrants, that's why now they're pro-socialism, pro-globalism, pro, uh, you know, let's get rid of ICE, anti-ICE and and pro um, open borders and are, you know, the most lax possible border security policies. All of those things are incredibly dangerous, but, but honestly, for me as an individual, mm-hmm. it is about their complete, uh, uh, abandonment, uh, or dissociation with the truth. Sure. And that bothers me immensely that if the Democrats take power, God forbid, in 2020, if they take the House, the Senate, the presidency, we will be living in a world where the truth no longer matters. I mean, it will literally be like a complete revision of any sort of honest history or anything like that because they are just completely allowed mm-hmm. to uh, ruin people's lives, label people you know, racist and bigots and all these things and dismiss them even when it's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done it to the president. They did it to Brett Kavanaugh. They've done it to me. They've done it to anybody. And, and anybody who steps out of line. I mean, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they'll call, even if you're black, they'll call you a Nazi or a white supremacist. I've, oh, yeah. I've experienced oh, yeah. that, right? It doesn't matter if you're, have they tried to say that you're not actually gay now? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I know, I, know, I know they try to take away black people's blackness. But I'm wondering yeah. if they I'm wondering if they've tried to say that, oh, you're not sure. I think that's probably happened a time or two, but more than that I'm not really gay, I think it's the, the narrative is more that I'm a self-loathing oh, gay okay, person. Okay. Gotcha. Like they did to Milo. Basically mm-hmm. that I'm a gay person who hates gay people and I hate myself. Okay. Therefore I'm trying to harm and damage the gay community. Whereas what I'm trying to do is give them more freedom, more power, more choice, more opportunity, more truth. That's what I'm trying to give hmm. to minority communities. Uh, and, they're trying and, to take those things away. Yeah. And how have you found the response from conservatives in general, especially in the, in the USA? Because I know that, again, I think that, I think that I'll, I'll, be, I'll be clear here. I think the biggest lie in politics, and I've thought this for a very long time, I think the biggest lie in politics is that the left is more tolerant and compassionate than the right. There's wonderful people on both sides. There's terrible people on both sides. I think there's more than two sides to begin with anyway. But the way that every, I mean, it's the same here in the UK, right? It's just assumed that all of, all of the racism, all of the sexism, all of the, homo, all, all, any kind of bigotry that, man, it's these darn conservatives, just like half of these, half of the country in every country is just these really hateful bigots. And I've never, my own life experience has never shown that to be the case, right? Almost all of the racial attacks I've received or people calling me like really awful stuff, it's extremely rare, extremely rare for it to come from the conservative side of the spectrum. It's always from the left side of the aisle. And it's been like that for 
a while. And when I talk to certain people about this, they're just like, what are you crazy? Like that can't be the, I'm like, dude, I've got like a couple hundred thousand social media followers, like millions of interactions. Like I'm seeing what I'm, what I'm seeing here. And so I, I've always, I've always been intrigued by that. So how have you found, I guess you've been um, embraced by the more conservative aisle because a lot of people still do have this idea and I think some of it does stem from the past, right? I think some people think that conservatism is something that doesn't move. So conservatives in 2019 are the same as conservatives in 1950, which is absolutely not the case, right? But how have you found that? Well, I, okay, so I have been very warmly embraced and supported by the conservative movement. Otherwise, what has happened to me uh, could not happen. I mean, the, the fact that I Fox News opened their doors to me, uh, you know, the, I, I spoke at that Trump rally before 18,000 people who gave me nothing but love and support. Uh, and when I traveled the country doing speaking engagements and uh, college tours and these t town halls for the walkaway that we do, I mean, it's just nothing but love and, 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 and support. Um, now, I will say this is what I believe, and, and please bear in mind that my conservatism is, uh, you know, like barely two yeah. years old. Sure. So I, I'm by no means an expert on, on the conservative movement. But I do think that Donald Trump ushered in this thing, what we call the MAGA movement, which is so different than what republicanism used to be. And in my opinion, I feel like he gave... <clears throat> power and a voice to so many people kind of in the center right who what we call the silent majority who for so long even they i think were being kind of run over by the religious fundamentalists on the right the more extremists kind of on the right and so when we talk about like how have i been embraced by conservatives i don't want to completely whitewash it because there are fringe people on the right who are crazy sure there are yeah, and they're racist yep and they're homophobic and those people do sometimes send me messages in my dms that you know <laughs> some pretty explicit anti-gay comments but that is a very rare minority of people and i don't think that those people represent it if the maga conservatives yeah. saw those they'd messages they'd condemn they would be outraged they'd, be, they'd condemn it exactly then they'd th condemn those, it. those people are not embraced it's not like, no uh yeah i see th this is the thing um i have a, i have a theory about this as well about why this is the case i think because people who lean more right and more conservative both metaphorically and literally they prefer borders right almost by mm -hmm. definition conservatism is somewhat about borders so i think that on the right side of the aisle, people are better at delineating and sort of putting a boundary around what is acceptable and what's not. They're better at containing their crazy people. You know what I mean? And, right. and disavowing yeah. them. You see what I mean? Like, like if someone's yeah. a conservative and you've got someone who's really pushing some like Nazi, white supremacist, anti-Semitic stuff, right? People are like, nope, they're not part of this, right? I denounce that person. Whereas yeah. on the left side, they seem to be a lot less willing to make that delineation. So that's why you'll see people who, you know, Antifa will go and beat people over the head. They'll go attack people and whatever. And you'll have people literally on the news on CNN, like public figures coming out and saying, oh, well, 
they're really just fighting fascism. Like they won't want to, they won't want to denounce their own crazies, let alone the, oh, yeah. you know, super identitarian, hyper woke to the point that they're asleep, the hyper, you know, identity politics players and whatever. They won't want to, they, they, there's this hesitance about denouncing those people or someone who's pushing full-blown socialism or communism or something like they won't want to go ah no no like we're not that it's kind of like "Mm, well maybe you know whereas i think on the right people are just more like nah like we're not we're not going there we're not going there no it's true i mean the liberal media even uh props up antifa to a certain degree and just like you said i mean uh and don lemon is is the worst of any of them i mean he's always like uh, you know the oh his whole thing is that Antifa is fighting fascism and, exactly. you know, that anybody on the right who denounces Antifa, is, well, of, course, <laughs> of, of course, they're, uh, you know, denouncing someone who would fight against white supremacy, you know, yeah. whatever. And it's like, no, they're not. They're literally just showing up with, you know, bike locks and baseball yeah. bats and I beating. Mean, I mean, even the police. I mean, where was that crazy stuff that happened in Portland and the mayor, like even the mayor, the police, like it was like, yeah, telling them to stand down while people yeah. are literally, literally getting physically attacked, not like intimidation or just like a protest or something. Like people are literally being beaten up and hurt in the streets, right? Someone could be potentially killed by, if you whack someone over the head with a weapon, like that's possible attempted murder, you know what I mean? And the police are just standing there twiddling their thumbs. And I'm watching these videos and I'm just like, what on earth is, how, is, how are they letting this happen, you know? Well, and the great irony here is that, you know, the pe- anybody on the left will tell you that we live in a system or that we live in a, a state of systemic oppression mm-hmm. and that that oppression is experienced by people of color, people on the left, and that the government, the system's in place. But it's, it's the system that's telling uh, the police to stand down while people on the right are getting the tar beaten out of them by, you know, people on the left. And it's also the same system that is censoring conservatives on social media and in college campuses. I mean, it's, it's just hilariously backwards. It's completely inside out. It is. I mean, I made a comment on Twitter the other day saying something like, um, the best way to get away with being a bully is by pretending to be the victim. And I'm seeing that happening a lot right now where you've got people like literally condoning and promoting violence, right? Not, not just right. like, not just, you know, disagreement or even insults, but literally condoning and applauding violence. And they're doing this under the veil of, oh, I'm an anti-racist or I'm pro LGBT, or I'm going to put this hashtag black lives matter hashtag in my bio or whatever. But then you're seeing the way the things they're saying and the way they're talking to people and how quick they are to, you know, yell at people and call people names and all that. And I'm just like, do you really think you're the, you're, you know, you're the good guy here? Like, I don't know. I just find that whole thing very strange. In a way, I think it's good that, you know, a lot of people complain about social media and the role it may play in polarization. But in some ways, I'm glad that it's visible, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that I've kind of like seen and observed anecdotally kind of in my own life. But now it's like you can just you can just see it you know people are really for better or for worse people tend to put their true selves out on twitter at least so mm-hmm. if you follow someone it doesn't matter if it's a celebrity public figure like they're gonna expose what they really think and believe at some point so i think it's kind of good in a way that you can just you can just see it 
Yeah. And you're right about what you said about, you know, the being able to be a, vol- a bully under the guise of being a victim. Uh, you know, I was just at Chico College in California last week to do this, what we call the Walkway Thought Revolution College Campus Tour. And um, I was there, th- I went the day before because I had heard that there were protests that we were coming and doing our event. And so I went, and I'm really, honestly, I'm not one of those that shows up with the intention to agitate and catch it on camera and then be, you know, trigger, like, not really, sure. honestly, not even my thing, sure. uh, because I'm actually legitimately trying to like open minds and get people to walk away. But I just wanted to see what it was we were about to get into. Mm. So I went to the college and the protest was still happening and there were 30 plus people in this circle and I didn't even bother them. I didn't go near them. I just was standing uh, outside of the circle and my assistant said why don't we film a promo for tomorrow just say you know like hey we're coming here to chico you know so i start filming this promo and all hell breaks loose and next thing i know i've got all these people in my face you know like literally this close to my face flipping me off uh calling me names the most vulgar vile things coming out of their mouths none of this bothers me by the way i don't it's it's fine but then after that all kind of settled down this black girl came up to me and she came up to me very um, like, you know, in a very appropriate way, I would say, you know, just very calm. And she said, I would like to ask you a question. I said, sure. She said, "Um, are you a Trump supporter? And I said, yes. And she said, do you think he's a racist? And I said, no. And she said, well, how am I as a black woman supposed to feel about that? And I said, okay, I was like, you know, that's a great question. I was like, why don't you come to my event tomorrow night and ask that question? And I would love to answer it for you. You know, like in the right setting, like not here in the middle of this protesting mayhem. I was like, come to my event. And she said, oh, I would never, I would never come to your event. I would never, whatever. And I said, I said, okay, I guess I I said, I guess that's your choice to remain ignorant. And oh my God. Uh It went from zero to 60 like that. And she was like, you calling me an ignorant black woman? (laughs) And then Uh all of a sudden, I mean, she was like, so she's right there. And then she turns to my assistant who has nothing to do with this, who's a girl, and says something about uh, you as a woman are going to let a man talk like that, whatever. And then she starts making a fist like she's going to punch my assistant in the face. And people had to actually hold her back. And I said, do you get that you're the bully? Like, do you get that? Because I was like, I know that you think that you're the victim, but do you get that you are the bully? Like, you're the one who, like, is threatening to punch my assistants. Like, what are you doing? And all I said was, please come to my event and ask that question. It's a good question. Well, I'm sure you've heard people now saying that um, civility is a tool of oppression and white supremacy, right? So just the, the oh whole my idea. God. Have you, have, you, have you heard that? No. Oh, really? Oh, that's what, some, oh. That's what some, some radical leftists are saying now, that civility itself is a tool of the oppressor. So the reason that they even say that you should be civilized is so that, you know, you can't fight, fight the power or speak, speak truth to power or whatever thing they're saying. So they're saying civility in itself. That's, that's Antifa's whole... Um, that's their whole mindset. They don't believe in civility. They don't believe right. in conversation. That, that whole, that's why it falls completely flat on them. They don't, they don't believe in it. They think by having a conversation, by using logic, et cetera, you're just trying to reinforce the existing power structure. It's so weird. Right. Like, like when you look into and you listen to what they actually believe, you're just like, what on earth is this? Like, but, it, but it makes everything else they do sort of logically make sense 
from those sort of uh, first principles. Right. Well, that's it's it's like anything to normalize violence, aggression, yeah. any, you know, because basically what they're what they're doing is saying, well, we have to be violent and aggressive and it's your fault. Yeah, it's well, because of you that we have to behave this way. Well, you must have heard them say speech is violence, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I've heard yeah. versions yeah. of yeah, this. Well, yes. it, well, this is the thing. So in their warped my, worldview, violence, physical violence is a response, is an appropriate response to what they consider harmful or hateful speech. So that's why they don't have a problem beating people up. That's why they don't have a problem starting fires, throwing Molotov cocktails, doing whatever. Because if a speaker, whether it's yourself or it's Jordan Peterson or it's Ben Shapiro or it's Milo or anybody, Ann Coulter, whoever, they consider their words to be violence. That's literally how they think. So if the words are violence, then obviously if someone is being violent towards you, it then becomes appropriate to be violent back in self-defense. That's why Antifa rallies, they call it, they say it's self-defense, right? And so no, 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 no one is attacking them, but they say here, yeah, we're defending, we're, this is self-defense. And it's, it's, such a, it's such a bizarre concept. It, 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 it is worth like reading into a little bit to see kind of how their brains work. It's like, they just start with these premises, which are just wrong. But then based on these wrong premises, the rest of their actions kind of make sense. It's why they don't like free speech. Because, you know, free speech is just another tool of um, another tool of the oppressor. So if you support free speech, that's why they'll call you a, a white supremacist or a Nazi or whatever, despite that obviously being totally backwards. Um, it's such a perversion of common sense. Like yeah. it's just a total warped view of what we consider to be, you know, the standards of civility and common sense. Yeah. What would they say? I'm, I'm a white supremacist adjacent. That's, that's what, that's one that's one they use or that you're enabling, enabling white supremacy. So they might say, okay, a person of color is not a white supremacist, but they can be a white supremacist enabler. And it, it's so, it's so bizarre. It's really, well, really weird. Yeah, you know, this, I, I guess I'm just sitting here thinking because it really didn't even dawn on me. So here we've got like this black guy and this gay guy talking. <laughs> <laughs> Such a nightmare for them, I'm sure. So uh, what is happening? It's, it's so weird, man. But I don't know. Like, I really do think that, you know, most people now in the, in the center, right? I, I can understand that maybe some decades ago, this, this was not, not necessarily the case with sort of the old versions of conservatism. But I really do think that it's the case now where, you know, most people just, this, this is the battle now. It's like you have, it's almost a battle between identitarians, people who want to play identity politics, and people who don't. Like people who, people who don't care. That some people will see this and the very first thing that comes to their brain is what you kind of said. This is a straight black male talking to a gay white male. That's the only way they can see it and frame it and understand it. Whereas other people, and I believe this is the vast majority of people, would just go, ah, it's two guys talking. You see what I mean? It's yeah. not like, okay, we need to view it through this particular lens. Like, it, it's just, yeah, this is just people. We've got individuals who look different and are of different sexes. Are different. Different yeah, yeah it, it's, it's so, it's such a weird, I don't know, the whole thing is weird to me. I mean, there's a version of it on the right and there's a version of it on the left. But the version on the left is a lot more mainstream, which is why 
you know, some people say, oh, Zuby, why don't you, why don't you criticize like the far right more? Okay. Or whatever. And it's like, I can see a growing problem there. Firstly, I think a lot of the stuff on the far left fuels the far right. They fuel each other. Like they're really symbiotic, but also the far left is in academia, in the school system, in like corporations, in politics and everything. You're getting presidential candidates going on there and introducing themselves with their, with their pronouns and talking LGBTQ plus this and black people this and people of color that and white people that. And I'm just like, stop. Why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> the only candidates that are not doing it are Yang, uh, Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. Who are, the, yeah. who are the two Democrats who like, I think are sane. And funnily yeah. enough, they're the ones who are polling pretty low. Um, but the rest of them, it's like they can't get out of this, this mindset. And I just really, I don't know. I just, I find it very tiring. And I just don't think it's representative of how the world functions or how, how I guess I would like the world to function. I'd like to get beyond all this stuff. And I do think most conservatives are beyond this stuff like i just don't think they really care i totally totally agree with you and yeah it's if you watch the democrat debates it's like i don't drink anymore but it could be a drinking game to (laughs) to every time you hear the phrase black women of uh black trans women oh my god uh, you take a drink you know trans women of color take a drink it's the and and listen i want to be really clear i'm very much about uh, being kind, compassionate. Uh, I don't have an issue with uh, black trans women or trans women. Like, you know, I'm I'm actually very pro transgender community. That is to say, the legitimate transgender community, sure. not people who identify as non-binary, gender fluid, gender all these ridiculous new identity groups that I, don't. I make feel like, I feel excluded. You <laughs> you do. <laughs> I'm gender fluid. You, oh, you, you are. I am. Yeah. <laughs> have you not seen my pin tweet? And you know you're talking to the British. You know you're talking to the British women's deadlift and bench press record holder right now. Oh. <laughs> I I had no idea. Oh oh okay, you missed that whole you missed that whole thing. Okay. No, but yeah. that does it, that reminds me of a little joke that I like <laughs> that I like to make sometimes, which is, you know, as all these stories come out now about like you know the trans trans female bodybuilders, you know, and stuff like that. I always say I'm like. You know how like Brazilians are are really good at soccer? Like they're like Brazilians are just really well known for being good at soccer. It's amazing how trans women are really good at weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah. just they're just inherently good at weightlifting. I, I said something about this like during um during Pride Month, you know, when uh everyone when all the co- corporations start start pandering. I'm I'm actually curious to as as an actual gay guy, I don't know how this comes across to you, but I always feel like it's so over the top and ridiculous. So obviously pandering that I'm like, man, I think if I were gay, I'd kind of be offended because <laughs> it's such an obvious cash grab to me. I'm just like, all of a sudden they're just like, whoa, like, let's just like throw the rainbow flags like everywhere. Like if they did that 20 years ago when they had like, you know, something to lose, maybe I'd be a bit like, okay, that's kind of, that's kind of brave. Like they're sticking up for something. Whereas now it's kind of like, it's just this trend. And totally. Just- yeah. Well, I can tell you, even as a liberal uh, back, you know, a few years ago, yeah. um, I, it got to the point where, you know, I've lived in New York for now for like 20 years. And so I've seen as I've watched as Pride Month, the month of June has changed from 20 years ago mm. to I mean, 
when back when I was going to like the Pride Parade in 2005, even 2010, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, 2012, whatever. There was still this sense of nervousness, like who's going to yell mm. nasty things at us mm. or who's going to like throw something at us or, or whatever. And now, oh my God, <laughs> starting like midnight, June 1st, it is gay Citibank, gay Starbucks, gay. I, it is so commercialized yeah, at yeah. this point, Pride, that that I think many in the gay community see that. We see how it's been completely commercialized, <laughs> but I don't think that they're connecting the dots to how completely unnecessary it is, especially now as, uh, listen, if you're a white gay man, you might as well leave the acronym. Like you're not like, in fact, the entire G, even the black and brown gay men, mm -hmm. they don't even want us anymore. Like, which is really weird because back at the height of homophobia, we really did have it the hardest. Like True. people were not like jumping out of vans and beating the hell out of lesbians. Yeah. Like that was happening to us. You know, I mean, it was like gay men were the ones that people really like hated and what, you know, mm -hmm. but now we're seen as the most privileged within the, I'm talking about within the group, like yeah, yeah. lesbians, non-binary, whatever that means, trans, whatever. They see gay men as problematic. Mm. And so it's like, they might as well chop that G right off and get rid of us um, because we're not wanted. And so when we have things like the pride parade now and stuff, the, it's not even about gay anymore or equality or anything. It's just about all these new ridiculous identity groups the the, the non-binary the gender fluid the gender queer and which no one even knows what these things mean if you ask a queer person what is what is it are you gay no i'm not gay are you bi no i'm not bi are you no i'm not trans what are you well i'm i'm not really gay i'm not really bi i'm not what are you it's like, like, that, it's like that dave chappelle though, that dave chappelle <laughs> Yeah, have, you, exactly. have you seen that yet? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, what, what is the source of your oppression? I mean, like, you can't even define what you are. So mm -hmm. how are you, how am I supposed to believe you're being discriminated against when we can't even identify what you are? <laughs> you know? How are people discriminating against you when they don't even know what quality to discriminate against? Mm -hmm. We don't know what it is. So it's ridiculous. It's yeah. beyond. Here's a question. So yes, sir. How? So I'm I'm gonna ask this because um, I believe that uh, you know I often say that racism in the Western world certainly is lower than it is pretty much anywhere else in the world, and also at a historical all-time low. Like I catch a lot of flack for saying in the UK and in the USA in 2019, I don't think racism is a massive issue. This, this is my honest position. I've been alive for, you know, I'm, I'm 33. I've been to, I'm very well traveled. I've been to a lot of places, lots of different cities. And I not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And I think the same with sexism as well. Right. I think there's no, and homophobia. there's no better place. Yeah. I, I've, I've, well, that's what I, that's what I sense, but I'm curious from your own perspective, right? I don't want to, I don't want to say that not being someone who's ever potentially right. and is not a potential victim to it or anything. Uh, but that's kind of what I sense and what I've gathered from other people who I've spoken to. I guess there's two questions here. One, how big a problem, I guess you could say in the USA anyway, at least, do you think uh, homophobia is? And 
how and following on from that, especially now that um, gay marriage has been legalized, which I do believe was literally the final law on the books that someone could say was genuinely discriminatory. Was yeah, was yeah. genuinely discriminatory. How necessary do you think the whole? I don't know this whole this whole movement, the whole LGBTQ plus, like the the whole sort of movement and activism and all this stuff. Because I totally understand it. Like if you again, if you if you go back even one decade or certainly before that, like I totally understand the need for that movement and the push and the sort of motive and goals behind it, specifically the goals. Whereas now, I don't know what the goal of some of this stuff is. Like I don't know what the goal of some degree of this activism is because as far as I'm aware, again, in the UK, no one cares. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people aren't seeing two guys holding hands, walking down the street and running after them with, with weapons or, you with know what bat. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I can understand that used to happen and that's horrible, but right now I'm kind of like, okay, like what's the, what's the goal? <laughs> like people are like, we want equality. We want to, I'm like, what do yeah. you mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I don't get it. So, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I have many thoughts. I have many thoughts. I assume you're a guy who likes the cold, hard truth, right? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Because uh, I I do have some deep opinions about about certain aspects of this. Well, first, let's start because there's several sort of pieces to what you asked. Um, uh, Homophobia as it exists in the United States in 2019 is barely a blip on the radar. I mean, there are... it shows itself in certain situations and certain f- forms, but it's barely worth talking about. Um, to answer your question about what is the purpose of the LGBT movement at this point? Well, to me, that's, I think, for c- conservative or maybe non-liberal LGBT people, this is why this group is such a source of embarrassment for us, I think, and 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 honestly detrimental because they are running around trying to make you believe that the sky is falling like it is like the darkest of times for LGBT. There are people who actually say yeah, yeah. The, Trump, the Trump era is the darkest of times for LGBT people. And I'm like, listen, I'm a gay guy of a certain age. And I can tell you as someone who grew up in the 80s and the 90s, this is we have it really, really, really good, yeah. really good now. And to the point where we really shouldn't even be complaining period. But it's like, if there is to be an LGBT movement, uh, if there is like, let's go global. Why don't we as the most privileged LGBT people who have ever lived here in the United States and probably in Western Europe, Mm. why don't we start helping people in, you know, the Eastern countries or, you know, Middle Eastern countries, Mm. Russia, Mm. why don't we turn our attention to LGBT people who are legitimately being murdered? Yeah. or who are being taken away in the middle of the night. Nobody ever hears from them again. Mm-hmm. Why are we worrying about laying outside of Chick-fil-A on the ground? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what okay. I mean? Uh, why? Yeah. Is this the biggest problem that we've got? I, I hear it. See, because I also ask this. I, again, I don't know how much you know about your ba- my background, but I mean, uh, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Right? I lived in Saudi Arabia for 19 years, and my okay. family background is originally from Nigeria. Okay? And in both of those countries there's a lot more like genuine legitimate uh anti-gay discrimination and homophobia and that's that's like real you know so from me from having those kind of cultural perspectives and then seeing the way people are behaving in the 
UK and US. I feel the same way about feminism, right? Like, I'm like, I can show you a patriarchy. Oh, yeah. If you really want to see a patriarchy, I, I can show you one. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not in the UK. Like, it's, right. it's not yes. New York. It's not, it's not London. Like, you could argue the opposite in those cases. Well, this is what's so remarkable. Like, since you brought up feminism, like in the United States, there are certain aspects in which it's become trendy or kind of cool to f- almost fetishize middle eastern culture where you know we've started to see like burkas on Mm -hmm. on on fashion runways or in fashion magazines and there's a lot of like in certain uh you know women's magazines there they'll do stories about the empowerment of the burqa and stuff and i'm like you're the same damn people talking about (laughs) darky and now you're like fetishizing women who actually are second class citizens in their own country like it's mind-bogglingly stupid and insane yeah. But I want to finish answering your question about homophobia. Yeah, yeah go for it, man. Because um, this is a problem that I'm seeing and I want to address it. I haven't quite figured out how to do it. Uh, but this is why I asked you if you wanted the cold, hard truth. Uh, because where I'm seeing homophobia peak today, uh, peak its head out today is largely within, and I don't want to like upset anybody or generalize, but I'm seeing too much of it within the black conservative community. And it, it's, it needs to be looked at and addressed because there's been, and I'm also seeing it of course, within this like fringe, oh, yeah. uh, what they call the groipers, yeah, yeah. you know, in this, like this group on the right. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been bothering me a lot because, you know, with walk away, I do a lot of events for the black community and we do these like black Americans town halls and stuff. Mm-hmm. And even people that I've worked with, that I've shared a stage with and that I've had on my panel within the last like, you know, couple of months, I'm starting to see them doing YouTube videos and stuff talking about, Oh, being gay is a choice and gay people are mentally ill and all this. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like what, what the hell? I mean, this is stuff from like 20 years ago, but I'm seeing so much of it within the black community of conservatism. I'm like, you guys clean your house and get it together because this is ugly. Like, I don't know what you're doing. That's interesting. That's not something I was aware of. Have you spoken to or approached any of those individuals? A, a couple of them. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not going to name names because some sure, of them sure. I still consider to be my friends. Yeah, uh, sure. But uh, one of them I approached because he's somebody I'm very close to and he is legitimately a really good guy. Um, and his answer to me was, but that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And I'm like, dude, come on. I mean, the Bible says a lot of stuff, but it's, and, and I'm not trying to take anyone's faith away and I'm not trying to tell anyone to like not adhere to scripture, whatever. Sure. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, I mean, there are millions of gay people in the world and there always has been, we've always been around. So it's like, I consider it to be a personal affront to have somebody basically tell me that I'm lying. Mm. You know, I mean, there's, there are a lot of things uh, about my character that somebody could question. You know, I'm a flawed human being like anybody else, but I'm very honest and I have, and my integrity is very important to me. When I tell you something, you can believe it because I don't lie. And, it, and I want to, I, you know, in my obituary, I would like it to say he was a man of his word. You could always rely on this guy to tell the truth. So when I tell you that I am not attracted to women and I am attracted to men, <laughs> 
I am not lying. Yeah, and yeah. it's always been that way. You know, so don't tell me that I'm mentally ill. Don't tell me that I'm choosing to be gay. Don't mm. tell me that I was sexually abused in my life. And that's why I, it's like, just listen. There are millions of us. There are millions of gay people. And we'll all tell you the same thing. We're not making this up. We're not no. trying. We're just gay. Yeah, We're I mean, just I, gay. I, I think the, the most obvious kind of, how would I say? The thing that makes that most obvious <laughs> is the fact that gay people exist in Islamic countries or places where, like, if it were merely a choice, right? <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, who would make that choice? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Even if that's with someone's sort of starting point. And then I was like, okay, well, why are there gay people in Saudi Arabia? Like, you, you, yeah. you, you don't, you don't want to be gay there. Like you, you really don't. So why would you choose that? People can have their views on, you know, what they think is, you know, what they think is moral, what they think is immoral, what they think is a sin, what they think isn't, if they think God exists, what like, you know, all, all that stuff is totally up for debate, but the whole idea of it not being, you know, like not being naturally occurring, it's like, yeah, come on. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. And stuff like that. It, it, it kind of just falls down. I mean, when there's, when there's a trend in certain countries of gay men having a bag put on their head and shoved off a building to their death, yeah. wouldn't that be the point where the jig was up and you'd be like, yeah. you know what? I, I'm not going to choose this anymore. It's not, it's not going to end well for me. Like, yeah. Yeah, you it, know? It, does, it doesn't make sense. But <laughs> ma ma again, again, maybe that's something where having some degree of just perspective and ability to critically think, I think, makes sense you know what i mean because yeah. uh, i guess a, a lot of people don't think like that but when you lay it out like that it's kind of like well yeah anyway man i'm looking at the time like we've uh we've actually this has been much longer than most of my podcasts but i've really really enjoyed this conversation and thank it's you been, it's been great having you as a as, as a guest because there are certain sort of topics and things that we can get into which are quite unique to your own perspective and experiences things i've sort of had in my mind, which I've wanted to ask, you know, like this whole last 20 minutes of conversation. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and being very frank and open and honest about that. I think it's very valuable. Thank you. I feel the same. And uh, I think may, let's, let's do it again, because I feel like uh, it's been great talking with you. And I think there's uh, a lot more conversations we could have and have a really good time people would enjoy listening to. So let's do it again. Absolutely, man. And um, how can people find you online? Oh, yes. So um, uh, my tricky last name uh, is Strock, but it's spelled Straka. So people can find me on all social media platforms at Brandon Strock, which is spelled B-R-A-N-D-O-N-S-T-R-A-K-A. -A. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and please subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Brandon Strock YouTube channel. Uh, and I would highly encourage anyone to please join the Walkaway campaign. Uh, follow us on uh, Facebook is really the group where it all began. So go to Facebook, type in hashtag walkaway campaign and join that group. And there's hundreds of thousands of people in the group, but there's tens of thousands of video and written testimonials. They're beautiful people telling their stories and anyone watching this would love to see them and read them. So join that group and be a part of what we're doing. Awesome. Brandon, really good to meet you, man. And Thank you for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Thank you. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.